Welcome to Creatively Christian, a podcast by Theophany Media, where we inspire, inform, educate, and empower creative Christians of all types. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon Hollingsworth. Today, Andrea connects with Devlin Chase to talk about the power of engaging God's Word through music and about approaching our creative time well. Devlin also shares an original song at the end of the episode. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Creatively Christian. I'm your host, Andrea Sandifer, and today I am joined by Delvin Case. Delvin is an associate professor of music at Wheaton College of Massachusetts. Uh, He's also a music director uh, for the Great Woods Symphony Orchestra, and he's the executive director of Deus Ex Musica, which we'll hear more about in today's uh, interview. So welcome, Del. So good to have you. Happy to be here. I'm excited to dig into these questions because I feel like um, anytime that we dig into what God is doing in the life of a creative, we learn so much uh, from each other. And I always walk away so encouraged by um, just, yeah, what God's doing in the lives of each creative that we talk to. And um, so let's just dig in. So what was your faith and musical upbringing and education? Well, um, you know, as a musician, uh, I've played like every kind of church. I think there is. Um, I have not played, I mean, except for those traditions that don't use musical instruments. Um, but I, you know, as the, if for all of you folks out there who are, who are uh, artists, you know, you never turn down a gig, right? And that means whatever church asks you to play, you, you learn their music and you help to contribute to their community. Um, and I think the reason why I enjoy doing that is because I, I did do have a pretty wide ranging uh, up, uh, upbringing. I was baptized Roman Catholic I was a pretty hardcore altar boy when I was a kid. I loved uh, wearing the robe and processing and carrying a crucifix and lighting candles and all that kind of stuff. And then when I was in high school, my my dad got born again, as he would say it. And um, he took our family to the uh, evangelical, it was a conservative Baptist church in Maine. So I can't call it a mega church because Maine is a small place. So it was like the world's smallest mega church, but it had carpets and theater lighting and the praise and worship band. And I really didn't know what hit me because that was very far from my experience. Um, I had been serious about classical music uh, for ever since I was quite young. And I also love pop music. So it wasn't like hearing the praise and worship band was horrible for me, you know, uh, I love pop music. In fact, I probably loved it more than classical, but uh, it was weird for me to hear it um, in a church. Um, I spent about a decade uh, worshiping and working my way through the evangelical world. And when I was um, about my mid twenties, I um, started finding myself more at home in uh, more mainline denominations like Presbyterian Church USA. And then I've been in the United Church of Christ, which is Congregationalist up here in, the, in New England. Uh, for about 20 years now. Um, and I, um, I've been involved as a church musician playing organ and being a choral director in the Episcopal church for several years, as well as playing in praise and worship bands, uh, you know, conducting Handel's Messiah, playing in a bluegrass gospel band. So like really, you know, four decades or so on in my life, I've, (laughs) I've worshiped at and, and played in and for a wide variety of American churches and, uh, I think it's a good thing. 
I think it's an amazing thing. And I, I love how you said that just in the beginning there that uh, just saying yes to opportunities as they unfolded, you know, saying yes to whatever God is bringing into your life. I think that's, that's the most beautiful part of these journeys is, you know, when the, when the opportunity presents itself for us to grow forward in our gifts in a certain way, you know, in, in the different circles that God's placed us in uh, saying, yes, it's a beautiful uh, step of obedience. So it's awesome. And yeah, and I forgot to kind of throw it back to you and kind of um, elaborate on uh, who you are and what you do, but you are coming to us from the Massachusetts uh, coast there. So where exactly do you live and what is the creative work, a typical life uh, of Del Case look like? Well, I am coming to you from Boston, um, where I've been for about almost 20 years. Uh, I'm a professor at a small secular liberal arts college in Massachusetts called Wheaton College, uh, which is not related to the Christian Wheaton College in Illinois. Uh, I like to say that we were first um, for what it's worth, which is probably nothing. Um, uh, but it, it's interesting and ironic because most of my work, I do most of my work professionally in the worlds of uh, theology and the church and music. So uh, I, so I feel like I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm at the wrong Wheaton, nor would I say that God made a mistake, but I think that God might be playing a joke on me, uh, perhaps. See what I'll do with this. You want to go to Wheaton? Sure. We'll send you to Wheaton. Um, I, uh, you know, as a professor, six months of the year, I teach, you know, courses to undergraduates, a wide variety of courses. I teach courses in, you know, music theory and music history. I also teach courses in popular music, the history of pop music. I teach courses in songwriting and in composition. So students write folk or singer songwriter works, but also music for string quartet or, you know, um, I one student starting writing an opera. Um, and professionally, I, uh, I, I also, sorry, at the college, I also conduct the college orchestra, which is, has members of the public as well. So it's a college community orchestra. And then professionally I do, I write, I speak, um, and I create various kinds of projects that are basically in the orbit of the intersections between music and the Christian life. Mm -hmm. And I define it broadly because I'm interested in classical music and pop music, sacred music and secular music. Um, I'm also interested in how music interacts with faith, the way we live our faith, as well as more academically with theology or the way that American music in particular can help us uh, understand um, American Christianity. Uh, and I can talk more about that if you want. So I, I write a blog for Patheos, which is a sort of a big blogging service that some of your listeners might know of. I do academic work. I do, I speak at seminaries and churches. Um, and I also, when I have time, which is mostly during the summers, uh, I, I'm a composer, so I do write music in a modern classical music style. Again, I've written an opera, I've written a symphony, I've written music for string quartet and for classical singers, but most of those pieces are sacred in nature, meaning that they usually set to music biblical texts or they explore ideas from the Christian tradition. One thing I don't do is write music for church. I don't write hymns. I don't write a lot of music for a choir to sing. I don't write praise and worship songs. Um, I write music that is oftentimes presented in a concert setting, but it explores elements of the Christian tradition. So it, it, it's the idea of sacred music placed in a secular context. Um, 
which allows people to respond to it in, in various ways. The Christians in the audience uh, will respond to it as music, as well as um, pieces of art that would speak to them spiritually. But the people in the audience that are not Christian will just respond to it as a piece of music. Um, so, of course, and that doesn't happen at church, where normally the music in church is just the people in church. Yeah, and I, I love you. Very, um, very wide range of what you do um, and the different kinds of music that you're even interested in. Um, but, and it sounds like we're kind of polar opposites in where I create most of my music in the wintertime when it's cold and dark and I have nothing to do. And because you're a teacher, you're, you're definitely more <laughs> summertime driven in your creative work, uh, personal. So when did, when did you start first, uh, first start writing your own music, uh, doing your own composing and, was there somebody that God used in your life to kind of encourage you forward in that work? Absolutely. It's a great question. I'll bet you everyone listening who's a creative artist had had at least one person, one of those angels sent from God to minister to them. To you know, uh, And that's the case for me. Um, I started you know, coming up with my own music when I was in um, like fifth or sixth grade. I was playing the piano. Um, and I got a, you know, I just kept sort of doing that in, in middle school. But when I was a uh, freshman, freshman, I think in high school, I, I wanted to write music more seriously. And I had a, uh, my, a former music teacher, uh, who was uh, a teacher from, from elementary school, who was a composer and arranger. And he sh- showed me how to set up an orchestral score and showed me how to write for the instruments. And under his, his mentorship, I wrote a piece that was performed, um, and in public. Uh, and I was just hooked at that point hearing, hearing my musical ideas be brought to life in front of me by, you know, 50 or 60 people on stage was incredible. Um, but without, you know, Mr. Alberti, uh, I really wouldn't have gotten that start. I wouldn't have had that, that experience that showed me what it's like to have your music come to life. Oh, what a gift he was. And that's, that, that's exciting. So you had your first piece like uh, presented by an orchestra and that was like in high school. Well, so it was a, uh, it was a, a, uh, a, like a, you might call it like a concert band. Uh, it was sort of a select wind ensemble that was, that performed in city hall in Portland, Maine, where I'm from. So it was, a, it was sort of like an all state kind of ensemble. So it was really, really good high school musicians. Um, and I certainly was in no way a child prodigy at all. Uh, but, and that piece is, you know, it's, it's, it's the first piece of music I wrote, um, but really hearing my, my friends and my peers take a piece of music that I wrote and, and play it. And, and then the conductor who was a, a local uh, music professor to have him rehearse it like he would rehearse music by anybody else, like give it that kind of respect um, was a, another p- powerful way that, that he ministered to me. He showed that I have, he thought I had a creative spark. I put the work in and I, and my music deserves the respect. Um, and so uh, Dr. Martin as well was someone else without whom I wouldn't have started or probably continued creating music. Yeah. And that was kind of leads into one of the questions I wanted to ask you about, like in our journeys, sometimes we can really suffer from like imposter syndrome or just a bunch of um, feelings of inadequacy or self-doubt. And so did those people that kind of cheered you on initially um, help you through that? Or what, what are ways that you've um, had to kind of work through any feelings of self-doubt? Oh, well, I mean, I think that uh, it's a, it's a great, great, good question. Um, 
I mean, I'm a, I'm a white American man. I think I could do anything, you know, uh, it's built into me. Like it's not accurate, but imposter syndrome is not something that I have to, I struggle with um, in some ways, but like, I would say that on the baseline level, I assume that I can do anything. I have, I have extraordinary privilege as an artist though, when you're sitting there facing a blank piece of paper, we're all imposters, right? Cause you know, uh, at the end of the day, even if you just won the, the, the Pulitzer prize in music, you still got to turn around the next day and face a blank sheet of paper. And I think there's always that question. Oh man, what if nothing comes out? Mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I love that, that we're all imposters. And so let's talk about that a, a little bit, like, and I didn't necessarily prep you for this one, but like when you sit down and you have that blank piece of paper, what are your steps forward? What is that, uh, what is that confident step forward look like in your creation? I would say that, um, and I tell this to my students a lot, is that um, you have to start, you have to do something. Because as, as I'm sure you know, and, and all of the other creative folk listening is that the idea is not the hard part to be a, a real artist, right? Um, it's what you do with the idea. There, there's a probably spurious um, quote by Brahms, the composer, and I, I don't, I'm sure he would, isn't the one who said this, but the quote that I always heard was that the hardest measure of music to write is measure five. <laughs> And I think you get it that like most melodies are four bars long, mm-hmm. like sort of anybody can, I mean, maybe not anybody, but it's not that hard to write a pretty okay four bar melody. The first rhyme of a song, you know, um, you know, whatever it is, you know, I, you know, when I think of your love, I think of the moon, I think of you, you know, in the daytime at night and at noon. Okay. Now I just made that up. That's, that's not great stuff. But the question is then, okay, what's next? (laughs) What's next? And that question of what's next, that is what, you know, I think the difference between being able to write measure five and not being able to is what it means to be an actual practicing artist, someone who works on their craft and who someone has developed the skills and the tools so that after you come up with the idea, you know how to develop it, how to turn it into something that, that, that really expresses what you want to say. Basically, I think, to, I think that being an, an, a professional artist or even just an artist who is committed to their craft, whether or not they make money, right, uh, is um, viewing it as a, a, as, a, as a job or a task. I mean, not viewing it romantically in the sense, oh, and I got to wait for the next inspiration. Sitting down, coming up with an idea, no matter what it is, even if it's bad, and then using your tools to form that, basically to, I think artistic training allows you to be that fertile soil that a seed can grow in. Yeah. It doesn't teach you how to come up with the seed, but luckily the seed, you know, no one goes out at springtime and, and takes a smell of the, you know, smells the seeds, <laughs> you know, smell the flowers, you know, there's a long journey between the seed and the thing we really experience. And I think that journey is what, it, I mean, being a uh, committed creative uh, means putting the time in to learn the ways to nourish that seed. If that makes sense. Absolutely. I love that. And I, um, I, yeah, I think we often forget that the little disciplines, the little habits that we build, the, the, um, the little pieces of work 
are helping us uh, grow and learn. And um, yeah, blank pages can be really intimidating, but just starting, we can trust that by just taking the time to do the work, to walk forward in it, uh, if something, if God wants something to flow out of that, it will flow out of that, but we, it can't, if we don't start. <laughs> so I love that planting the seeds and just, uh, uh, allowing God to do the faithful work of letting it grow, uh, where he wants it to. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I love to use the word faith because, because this does, I think that one of the things that Christian artists can model for non-Christians, um, is, an openness to crazy ideas, an openness to the possibility of life where there isn't life. Um, I mean, what is the resurrection beyond believing something that doesn't seem possible? Right? Um, and what is the resurrection? What is? I mean, Christianity is a religion that offers hope and dr- basically proves that there's life beyond beyond death. And I don't just mean like life ever after. I mean, like life in this world, mm-hmm. you know, trying to make the kingdom of God happen in your life by turning the other cheek, right. By, by remembering that, remembering that the poor are more important than the rich, all these other kinds of things, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think the artists, we, we just have to walk around every day and be ready for inspiration. We also have to be willing to, to take a little idea that seems dead and say, there's gotta be life in here somewhere. And I just think it's, there's a way that we approach the world where we have this hospitality at our core. Like we have to be ready to find life anywhere it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a huge calling that we can all, um, it's a beautiful way to approach our work as, uh, let's find the hope. Let's, let's sow the seeds of hope in this world. Um, let's bring the kingdom, uh, you know, heaven to earth, uh, through what we do and what we share. And yeah. And I love, you know, like your, um, you talked about just inspiration and, and that we need to be ready for that. Um, and I know something that you were inspired to do uh, is something that I actually got to take part in recently, um, or what I call a musical Bible study. And I think that was a way you described it, um, to me before we, when we were talking prior to this, um, so neat. What inspired your musical Bible studies? And can you share a little bit about what those are like? Absolutely. Um, so the event that you attended online, we call it a musical Bible study. And it's basically that it's, it's a bunch of people who gather to talk about scripture, but instead of opening up our Bibles and and taking turns, reading the Psalm, for example, and then talking about it, we just put one step before that. And the step that we put in is a piece of music that responds to or sets to me or, or sets these that that psalm to death. Let me play it. Be more careful. Um, here, sorry. Um, basically, instead of just reading the psalm, we will listen to a couple of different musical settings of that psalm. Um, so what you what what you heard were a couple of brand new pieces of music uh, written for a singer and a pianist that's that set to music uh, the words of the psalm. In this case, I think it was Psalm 57. Um, And what we do is we ask people to gather together in fellowship, listen to a couple of pieces of music that set the psalms, the psalm to music, and then talk about the scripture using the music as a lens. 
So rather than saying, hmm, what do you think Psalm 57 means to you? Or what do you think that the psalmist is trying to say? We actually get there, but we get there by asking the question, well, what was the composer's interpretation? What was the composer trying to say about the, about the, about the text? Uh, and that little, using music as a lens, allows us to experience scripture in really different ways than we're used to. It, uh, the arts, as, as you know, and music in particular, I think, speaks to our emotions primarily. Uh, it brings out drama. It brings out nuance that we oftentimes just gloss over when we, when we read quickly. Um, and so it's nice to be able to experience scripture through the interpretations of musicians because they have spent, you know, took me a, you know, several weeks to write my setting of Psalm 57. That's a lot of living with that text. That's a lot of turning over every single word in my head. There's a lot of writing and revising until I get it just right. And very few of us engage with any kind of text with that kind of level of, of, of intensity and depth, you know, whether it's a, a poem by Emily Dickinson or the Bible. So when you're re responding to a composer's musical interpretation of the Bible, you're getting inside their head and you're, you're joining with them in the creative process to a certain extent, because you are also becoming the audience member that, they were, that they've been trying to write for. Um, all that being said, when we hold these events live or online, we have an ecumenical group of attendees who are not musicians or not be musicians, but who are willing to open themselves up to an experience of the Bible that is different than what they're used to. Yeah. And did you see like what triggered that step forward in creating that, what kind of a need or what, um, what void in your, uh, in your ministry or what was the, the goal behind doing these kind of studies? That's a great question. And I should mention that we do these studies, you know, um, through this organization I founded called Day of Sex Musica, and you mentioned. Uh, we do them live, but we also do them online now. Um, and we offer them through churches and, and seminaries and, and other organizations. Um, so yeah, basically, um, to go back just a moment, you know, we all go to church that, most of us go to church that has music in it. There are a few denominations or traditions that don't have it. Uh, you know, Russian Orthodox Church doesn't use music, you know. Uh, or instruments, I should say. Um, but the idea that um, when we go to church, we hear, we might sing along to the choruses, we might uh, sing to hymns, we might hear a choir sing a classical piece of music, sacred music. But you know, that music, the job of that music is to prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Um, and that's what it does. It helps us to feel close to God. And that's great. But music doesn't, but sacred music doesn't always just have to do that. Um, the music that I write, the music, much of the music that, that Bach wrote, that Mozart wrote, that many other composers wrote was actually not intended to be used in a church service. It was intended to be heard in a concert hall, which begs the question, okay, is, is it sacred music if it's happening in a secular space? Um, the answer is yes, because the composer set the Bible to music and the composer was a person of faith. So then you have this weird situation where a bunch of people go into a secular space like a concert hall and they hear a piece of music that was intended to minister to people spiritually, but they're not hearing it in a place that's conducive to that for that ministry to happen, if that makes sense. So what Deus Ex Musica does is simply take sacred pieces of music, whether they're new or old, remove them from church, like remove them from their role in worship, and instead present them in a, in a secular space, right? But 
to follow that secular performance with a spiritual exploration. Um, that really doesn't happen anywhere. Um, so all we're doing is trying to find ways to take this extraordinary collection of sacred pieces that have been written over the last thousand years and put them in a context where Christians today can benefit from the spiritual wisdom that they offer. Yeah. And I, and I think when I joined in uh, that recent event, something, I didn't know a soul on the zoom call. There were, there had to be like a few dozen people involved in that. And I didn't know a single person outside of you. And um, it's a little intimidating. You know, I had no idea the, the faith background of everyone. Um, I know we were all over the world uh, tuning into that one. That was pretty cool. But something I experienced was that no matter what our backgrounds were, no matter, you know, what, um, yeah, like what our foundations were, when we started to engage the text, that Psalm text through the music and focus more on how it made us feel or how, how the composer really brought out certain uh, phrases of the Psalm and how it kind of, it made us look at the Psalm differently no matter where we were coming from, no matter what our backgrounds, we all learned from each other. We all, it was a very encouraging, beautiful interaction to where I had never met any of these people. And I left going, they're like my friends. Like I, I just did Bible study with them and I, I was so encouraged by them. And I think that was something beautiful. I kind of got out of that was no matter our backgrounds, no matter, um, where we live, uh, we can engage the Bible and in, in a beautiful way like that. And it, it, it almost, it, um, it surpasses, uh, what might hold us back sometimes if like, if we're sitting at a table with each other in, in a particular setting, like in a church or something like that. And, you know, we were pouring over the same text, we might have things that kind of come between us a little bit, but it almost felt like that music almost opened the door for us to really um, join together, almost a unity of faith in a way. Does that make sense? Well, let me tell you something. I, I've, I'm, it's very, very gratifying for me to hear that because that's what we hope happens but if I could turn this around and ask you, maybe could I ask you what, what it was about that experience that, that led you to feel more connected with people or like there was more unity? Can uh, you, put your, you put your finger on it? Because I really would like to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think um, because the, so there were three settings of the same psalm that we did. And the first round, I was caught off guard a little bit because I had never really uh, spent time with the classical style that we were engaging with that day. I had never had to like give feedback on any of that or really, it was really, it was almost, uh, it was, it was, it was a challenging thing for me to uh, step into. And there was another gentleman in our group who was not a musician at all. He was just there to soak in, uh, the, the event and just, um, but by the third round, we 
And I was telling you earlier that our host, um, when we were offline before our host of our little breakout group, she was so gracious and she was, she had a way of really making us all feel welcome and, uh, no interpretations were bad interpretations or, you know, like everything was, everything was good to be discussed. But by that third round, the, I think there were maybe six or seven of us in this little group that were interacting, had never met any of them before. Uh, we were all over the world. And, um, but we were, we were engaging with, I think it was your setting. We were engaging with it and, uh, interpreting, like I heard this and, oh, and I heard this and, and then we would almost like poor Catherine didn't even have a chance to like respond. And we were just like back and forth between the six of us. We were encouraging each other and, responding to what each other was saying and growing in our own understanding through what each other was sharing. It was, and it took us, it took us that little momentum to get going. But by that third round, it was, it was just beautiful to feel almost like this, this unity in a group that had never interacted before this little zoom call. And it was, it was beautiful. It was just kind of a beautiful picture of the church, I think. Uh, to me, that no matter our backgrounds, no matter our geographical locations, um, that we could interact in a beautiful way uh, over over this music, over this piece of music. Well, I wonder if this this might lead us to ask, what is it about regular Bible study that makes that harder? You know, that's that's a maybe maybe we can learn because most of the time we're going to do regular Bible study, right? Yeah, yeah. So I wonder what it is that we could do. Like, what could we take? from this, you know, to create that environment more, you know, more consistently, like yeah. what is it about the arts that we could borrow from? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I, I really, I would love to explore that further. And I think as creatives, we can really, and I, I I'm a Bible study leader. So, you know, for me, it's almost a challenge forward. Like, what can I do and I'm a musician too. So maybe there's some way I can bring a musical side in to what I do in my own leading. Um, even if it's just, Hey, here's the text that we read. Here's just a simple meditation. I wrote a melody to let's just interact with it really quick. And it'd be really fun to see if it changes the dynamic of our group a little bit. Yeah. It's a good point. It's a good idea. You know, now not all of us could, can write songs or meditations, but you know, every single, <laughs> I, honestly, Every, almost every single chapter of the Bible has many pieces of music that, that are based upon it. I mean, if you go to the Wikipedia page for any Psalm at the very bottom, it lists like 10 to 20 pieces of music that said that, you know, that, that feature it. And you can then just find them on YouTube or Spotify. Like um, you could find two different settings of Psalm, you know, 100, it would take you 20 seconds, you know, and then simply playing those, you could do your own version of this. I mean, anybody could do their own version of this, you know, without any training. And that's the important thing, I think, is that, you know, when you go to Bible study, you don't have to know Greek, you know, like, and so, because the Bible should speak to you, even if you don't know the original participle in Greek for the word, right? Same is true for music. We all engage with music in different ways. We all have different amounts of training. Music doesn't belong just to the, the scholars, so even if there's someone listening to this who wants to try this, you know, at their home church, you don't need to be able to explain why the this piece of music works and this piece of music doesn't work. No, you 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 play a musical setting of Psalm 100 and you say, "How does this make you think about the text?" And 
what do you take from it spiritually? That's kind of enough. Um, yeah. It's not the only way to study the Bible. And there's, there are, there's place for lots of other things. But I think what you and I are talking about is actually a pretty unique way to do it. Yeah, it really is. It's beautifully unique. And I'm so glad I took uh, the opportunity to engage that day. It was, it was a, it was a wonderful blessing. It really started. It was early for me. It was early in the morning being up here in Alaska, but it set the course of my day just beautifully. So um, yeah, that's a good, I'm going to have to dig into how I want to almost grow forward in my own Bible study um, leading and maybe bringing in something uh, from what I've learned uh, through working with you on this stuff and walking through this stuff, but cool. Well, let's, um, let's dig into a little bit of the, um, the, I'd call it the practical side of what you do. So when you are capturing and presenting your music, um, I know a lot of our listeners, they're, they're just trying to figure out how best to capture stuff, uh, record stuff, um, and, and then present it forward. I know you have a lot of stuff on YouTube, a lot of your music on YouTube. Um, and it seems like a lot of your work is um, recorded there in that, that I'd call it the, uh, like a, a church hall or something like that. Are you using uh, special equipment to um, record all of that? Do you have a special sound guy or is it as simple as just hit and record on, um, on a computer somewhere? Well, I definitely think that that for a lot of people, we think that, you know, the, you know that phrase, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Uh, heard that before. Uh, and I think that that's true for a lot of us. It's, I think that's something which, you know, which we all face when we look at that blank sheet of paper, like this, this has to be the best idea I've ever had, or I can't, I can't keep going, you know, like, no, it actually just, you need to get something down to get started. So I work in the classical world and I'm not super tech, tech oriented, but you know, these days with video, getting a one camera, um, you know, uh, video of a, of, of a song of yours that's, that's played or that's sung, uh, and this just getting it up there, getting it on, on YouTube um, is important because then you, you can then, that, then it becomes a demo that you can share with anybody in the world. Um, you know, in my field, the gold standard is to go into this recording studio and to have, you know, you know, four, eight, 10, 12 classically trained musicians, you know, re- record your, your piece of music and get it exactly right with lots of post-production editing and mastering because in the classical music, there's so much subtlety and it's such a special, specialized thing. It, that's way too expensive for me. I'm just a professor, you know? So I have a lot of my music, which I worked over, for, you know, worked on for months and months. What I have available publicly is a live performance that may not be perfect or I have a, um, or a live performance that might be, like all the notes might, might be there, but it's not the best interpretation, right? So almost nothing that I have, I have, I have some studio recordings, right? And those take a lot of time and work and energy and effort and money. But I think as artists, we want to share our work and, you know, getting it out there good enough is, a, is great, <laughs> you know? Yeah, good enough is great. And I think that's something that tripped me up for a long time was thinking I had to have all the right equipment and have a certain sound quality to even start sharing. And um, yeah, I don't think that's true. I think we, we just really, if we're drawn to doing the work and share the work, we just need to start where we're at 
And yeah, there's no reason we can't grow forward and, um, and, you know, get, get a new microphone or get, uh, you know, hire a sound specialist for a certain event or something like that, but growing forward and just, um, yeah, faithfully stepping forward in what we are able to do when we can do it. <laughs> That's good too. And people can tell whether something is, I mean, really can tell the difference between the 90% and the 100%. Um, and, you know, I have, a, I have, you know, a number of my teachers, you know, have one mate, you know, my, my, my former teachers, you know, these are world-class composers and most of their catalog hasn't been recorded in the studio. You know, it's a lot, takes a lot, a lot less time to write a piece of music than to have it premiered, you know, book the studio time, master it. I mean, it, again, it's like creating is the fun part. Capturing it is the necessary evil, I think. Now, I'm not a rock guy who goes in the studio like, yeah, man, I'll live in the studio. That's not how I operate. But my suggestion for any musician out there is that you got to get video these days. Like, you know, a video of, a, a video of you doing your thing is even if it doesn't sound fantastic, I think it's better than the perfect studio audio because we all were visual, you know, we want to see you. Um, so I, these days I, I have, I, I tend to, I, if I'm going to have a budget for a project, I'll, I'll spring for video, even though the audio might, it might, I might not be able to do quite so much post-production or editing. Hmm. That's really, that's a good point. I think that's, that's something important um, for all the, musicians out there but you know even those that are um you know as a podcast host we try to capture the video and put those on youtube um and we are we are a very visual culture and um i think that's a good thing to keep in mind uh, i definitely don't focus on video in any of my music work but when we record at my church for different projects that we're you know they're really good to do the video and and those are you know, I think about it, those are the videos that are engaged with the most. Those are the, those are the songs that are engaged with the most. So that that's a good reminder or a good thing to consider when we're actually uh, creating and um, yeah. And oh boy, has technology made it easy for us to capture things. Um, just even, you know, our handheld, like our little device, we can hit record and capture a decent uh, audio. Uh, but some of the some of the cameras on these uh, little handheld phones are getting pretty amazing too. So yeah, good point. Okay. Uh, you are a busy guy and I know you said you write a lot of your own work in the summertime, but what does it take for you to prioritize your creative time uh, when life gets crazy busy? You do have to, be, well, for me, I have to be very intentional and um, that means that, you know, um, I, on my to-do lists, I have two categories. I have the creative work and everything else. And that, that everything else category includes like the, the errands I need to run and signing up my kid for camp, as well as like make the final exam for my class or go to this blah, blah, blah. But for me, I have to have a completely separate category for, for the creative work. So I will look on my I will look on my to do list, which I organize by like by a certain number for how long I think projects will take. So I have like a ten minute category and a thirty minute category, an hour long category. But in the creative area, I don't have any time because, as you know, you never know how long it's going to take. <laughs> yes, <laughs> unfortunately, you can't say, "Oh, it's oh, sure, I'll just write this this piece of music in like five hours." No problem. <laughs> it might work. It might take ten minutes. It might take twenty hours. 
Um, so when I when I um, have a project, and this could be a this could be an article I'm writing, or it could be a piece of music I'm writing. When it's a project that I'm really investing my, sort of my full skills in, I'm trying to create something. You know, I will I have to set up aside the hours this afternoon, and that's all I'm going to do. Like I don't I don't keep my email open. I don't do attend to anything else. Um, and that means that I need to do everything else either before or after. And I just set up, set aside this time because, you know, as I know, you know, you, you need not just the time, but the mental space, you need to follow those leads and you need to follow the dead ends. Right. And not get mad. Cause like, Oh my gosh, I have to finish this. I hate working on deadlines. And what that means is that I start projects really, really far in advance of the deadline. Um, so I can spend a week and throw up and I think the week throw out because what I wrote was crap. Um, I think if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to do good work. Um, I'm not sure if that resonates with you or not, but I just, create, yeah. you know, I, I am really motivated by deadlines, but I think that's really wise to approach those well, like to give yourself creative space <laughs> to walk forward toward that deadline and not feel pressured to just throw something out there to give the creative work space. Um, oh, I'm such a procrastinator though, but I love what you said about like, cause it's exactly how I've got to do it. I've almost got to look at my calendar and go, okay, this day I have a three hour chunk that none of the other to do's in life need to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to, capture that time and devote it to my creative work. And, and I, I love those times. And it, it is inevitably, I approach that time, that three hours, and I'll dig into one project, you know, or, or think, oh, I'll just kind of work on this really quick. It is amazing how quickly that three hours goes by. And it's sometimes sad. But I trust that the work that I get done, and that is time set aside is the work that needed to get done or that the fruit from that again maybe I'm planting seeds where the fruit will bear um over time so yeah awesome I think that though um there I'm a couple of minds about that because first of all I do know that if first of all for, for me that creative stuff it's the most engaging but it's also the hardest and I will if there's any everything else is more timely than that. Like there's always a deadline. There's always something you can do for 10 more minutes because it has to be done instead of being creative. Right. So that's why I, I if I say, well, I'll probably write today if I get to it, never going to get to it because it's so easy to put it off because it's hard. Right. And it's not productive initially. Right. Or you can't guarantee it's, but I know if I, I call that guy, that's going to get off the to-do list. Right. Um, doesn't work that way creatively. I don't think. You know, I actually think about, I actually think of this in terms of my, the creative time as a Sabbath for me. And what I mean is not that it's a time of rest, but, you know, one way to look at the Sabbath is, you know, do no work, like a very sort of strict, like, okay, don't, you know, uh, some communities don't, don't use electric lights, you know, don't, don't do any work, but really I think the Sabbath is meant to rest a moment for us to reflect and, and it stands as a gift to us from God uh, to help make us aware that, that um, there is a different way to conceive of time and of work. And what I mean by this is that when we are, when we are writing, when I'm writing music for three hours and that's all I'm doing, 
um, I'm no longer beholden to a to the to-do list. I'm no longer beholden to you must and are supposed to accomplish this by this time. Um, it's sort of the difference between Kronos and Kairos, right? Kairos being God's time and Kronos being the time of the world. The rest of our lives is Kronos. You know, we, we, we do this for 10 minutes and then this and this and this. There's cause and there's effect. It's the way the world works. It's the machine and that's fine. But, but Kairos, this God's time is when we live in this like alternate reality where we're, we're exploring a way of being in the world, of, of experiencing time and of experiencing, I wouldn't say work, but like production, right? Just experiencing the world in which we don't have that, you know, we're not governed by the ticking of the clock or by a really clear one-to-one cause effect. We open ourselves up to the leading of the spirit and that is refreshing, right? This prepares us to go back into the machine on, on Monday. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm not saying that like I spend all Sunday writing music. No, that's hard work and I'm tired. But I think that one of the, another way that artists can contribute to an understanding of faith for Christians is our willingness to turn off the world and all of its simple expectations, if this, then this, and say, you know, for this time in my life, I'm going to be open to possibility. I'm going to be open to your word. I'm going to model that there's another way of being a human that's not controlled by all the systems, that just lives in God's love and hope and life, if, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I'm not too, too romantic here, but it's like, I really, like, I when I go to write, I feel like, I feel relaxed. Ugh, I can put aside all of the everyday part of life and I can just sort of stretch out in this way that the rest of the world doesn't let me. And I think that's what the Sabbath is about, actually. You know, reminding us that the world doesn't have to be, hey, get it done or else. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way to um, to look at our creative time is, you know, especially as as Christian creatives, we were created um by the creator i love saying we were created by the creator to create in creative ways like we we were each gifted this this beautiful way that god expresses our faith through us and when we enter into that work it's it's bringing him glory uh and what a beautiful way to approach our time in our creative work is is in communion with the Lord himself in response to what he's given us. Sabbath. Absolutely. I think that is, and I, when I sit down and I, you know, thinking as you were talking, I was like, okay, the last time I sat down and took the time and kind of put the rest of the world away, we were at a remote cabin over spring break and I didn't have my internet and I praise God. It was awesome for a week. I'd had no internet. It was awesome. And I I could almost feel the weight of the the other the world peel away and I I was almost given this freedom this headspace to actually interact with the songs that I wanted to be writing for the season ahead um and it was beautiful I it, it just it felt completely different and anytime we're out there in the wilds of Alaska I I feel like those are our sabbath moments in general but engaging with my creative work in the midst of that, it was truly a rich Sabbath experience. Absolutely. It's like when you go to church, like what are you accomplishing at church? You're not accomplishing anything. Like you're not going to make God love you more. 
And I suppose if you're a certain kind of Catholic, you have to have communion, but really theologically, you know, worship is, it's for, it's, it's an opportunity to worship. Is it worth, it's an opportunity that God gives us to worship God. Right. And, but it's not like we, if we do it right, we get into heaven or something, you know? Uh, so even the act of going to church, it's not like always super relaxing to go to church. You know, it's not like lying at the beach. It's not work, but it's a way, another way of like engaging with the world of being a human that doesn't have a clear goal or it doesn't have a goal where you're get what you put in, you know, like I feel like most of the world is operates on a grace free economy, right? You get what you deserve. And what is, what is Christianity offering apart from you don't get what you deserve. Right. And you can see that in terms of salvation, but you can also see that in free the freedom, you know, of, of knowing that the, that the created world is one that does have life and, and death and consequences and, but the kingdom of heaven is a one where that's all flipped around, you know, where we, if we were to live like Jesus wanted, we wouldn't care about what we wore because we think we were like the lilies, right? Or we'd be aware that, um, you know, that getting it, that really living how far we are from God. We're like a camel going through the eye of a needle, right? This is a radical reimagining of all the things that the world tells us. So Christian just like releases us from that. I think Sunday releases us from that or church releases us from that. But I think that the artistic practice releases us from that as well Hmm. and that's why i think that there's a real difference between um an artist and so and a craftsperson and i am not judging a craftsperson but if you write a hymn part of your job is to write a piece of music that makes something happen that helps it's got a real goal okay i'm not judging that but writing a piece of music for violin, right? That actually doesn't have a goal, right? It's not meant to be, like you can't tell whether it was successful or not in any way. Um, I'm not, I don't wanna to make too, too big a, distance, a distinction here, but you know, I think, the, look, I write music for church. Like I do a lot of music that's intended to do something and that's great, but I think it's really important to also in our artistic practices to make sure there are parts of those where we are really creating for the, for the joy of creation mm. and to exult in, in that gift and let go of the pressure of it doing something beyond just being. Um, and we want it to be good, right? But that's different. That's its identity, not its purpose. Yeah, that's so good. And I appreciate that, especially as a, I've considered, uh, stepping away from creating as much instrumental music as I do. Uh, I write primarily for my church, um, but I love creating instrumental music. And uh, I've that's a huge encouragement to me, Del, to keep going on that because uh, it is. There's such joy in just writing something that expresses something that almost words can't. Uh, for me. And I think there's that joy. I don't want to, I don't want to lose that joy of being able to do that. So thank you for that encouragement. Appreciate that. I mean, it's uh, a lot of professionals and myself included, you know, we're in danger of forgetting that joy, that, that kind of joy. And, you know, the other word that comes to mind for me is play. Like sometimes you're teaching your kid the shapes and sometimes you're teaching them like what the letter H sounds like. But when you just play Barbies with them, 
um, you're doing more, probably more teaching, right? But there's no goal to play. You're just doing it, you know? And I think that we oftentimes we need to remember as creatives that creating is play because it, 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 it's a time where we enjoy and exult in the opportunity to mold and paint and, and, and sing without worrying about what we're trying to accomplish. And that's super hard for a professional who might be writing a piece with a deadline and on a commission, right? So we, you know, we are creating a sort of a product, but I think we have to remember at every step of the way that if we're not doing it within the context of, of, of this radical openness to, to, the, to the leading of God and to God, hearing God's word, we're not really being inspired. Remember, inspired just means being breathed into, right? I mean, God inspired Adam by lit, like blowing air into the clay, you know? And we, I just think if we, if we, no matter what kind of project we're involved in, even if it's one with a strict deadline and a fee, as artists, we're really being artists, we have to bracket that and say, yeah, that, that's the world, but that's not the totality of the world, right? The, the act of creation is that moment where I need to feel, feel God's, God's breath, basically, I think. Yeah. Amen. I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Del, are do you have any current projects that you're really excited about? I do. Um, I have just finished writing a musical setting, almost like a miniature opera, based upon the, believe it or not, the sacrifice of Isaac story, which is a really powerful. Remember Abraham, God yeah. tells you. And um, that piece is about 20 minutes long, and it's sort of like a miniature operatic performance. And we're Right now I'm setting up a performance of it in, in Boston spring of 21. No, spring of 22, I guess it would be uh, in Lent. So we can present it and talk about questions of sacrifice and faith. And it's a tough story. Yeah. It's a tough story. And it's a, it's a problematic story, I think, for Christians. Um, and so I'm working with some folks up at Gordon College, which is a Christian college north of Boston, on, on making an event where we present this piece and have a discussion about the issues. Um, that excites me. That is yeah. so exciting. So that's next spring. We're yeah. recording this uh, in April of 2021 right now. So I can't wait to hear how that goes. Good for and you. I wrote this piece two years ago and it's, it, it's just because of the pandemic. It's just been sitting there print on, you know, on, on, you know, printed out, ready to go, not living. So mm-hmm. I wish I was a painter. I could paint my thing and see my thing. But all I have- <laughs> All I have is a is pieces of paper with dots and lines on them. I mean, this doesn't do me very good, you know. So I have to get it actually to, to sound like something. So oh, that's I love what I'm it. excited about finally. And that's nothing about being an artist. Like sometimes these things just sit and wait and for the right viewer or listener or opportunity, and we can't control that. Yeah. Well, that is super exciting. And I think that's a good reminder that uh, all the dots on my papers, uh, if I don't do something with them, they're, they're never going to be heard. So that's, that's, but that's, yeah, to, to trust the timing of it too. And, uh, oh, that will be beautiful for Lent. Um, Good for you. I can't wait to hear more about that next spring. And, um, and then at the end of this episode, we are going to tack on um, a song of yours. Can you tell us a little bit about the song that everyone will hear today? So I believe that when we talked about this, I sent you a short piece of music I wrote for soprano and piano about maybe two minutes long. 
and it is a musical setting of a poem by, uh, by the poet uh, Rilke, who, if you don't know, is a wonderful German poet, and much of his work is, is highly spiritual and sacred, and it's about God. And this is a, a, a poem translated into English that really moved me spiritually, and I set it to music for a, what will sound, basically sounds like an opera singer and pianist. Um, and it is, again, the music is supposed to, to bring to life the emotional and spiritual dimensions of the, the poem. And I can probably recite it from memory because it's really short, um, uh, but it's, it's beautiful. It's, I live my life in widening rings that spread out to cover everything. I may, I may not complete the last one, but I'll surely try. I'm circling around God. And I think I can remember the rest. Um, uh, I can't remember the rest. I'm circling around God. That's the best part of the song I can't remember. So I'll have to let your listeners listen to it. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm, it ends with, am I a, but I, I don't yet know if I'm a falcon, a falcon or a storm. So it's a really amazing spiritual and I haven't done it justice, but hopefully the music will bring those words to life. Very cool. Yeah. Everybody can look forward to listening in on the end here to enjoy that. Um, and then how can our listeners connect with you? Um, how can people get involved in what you're doing and learn from you? Uh, so my writing and my music, everything's on my website. It's delvincase.com, D-E-L-V-Y-N case.com. And from there, folks can um, can you know, read my writing and, and uh, um, listen to my music. But also, you can visit, uh, you can get connected with Deus Ex Musica, and all the projects we have there. We have a podcast, a video series, a recording label, a performing ensemble, uh, a blog with lots of articles about intersections between music and faith. Um, and so, yeah, so all that's all through a uh, all through my website, I guess you'd say. Wonderful. Okay, Dal, we love to close our episodes um, by praying. And so I would love to pray for you and what you're doing. And then, yeah, we'll close out with another quick message to everyone. But let's, uh, let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you for this time that uh, Dell and I could just interact as creative Christians, um, seeking to to bless your kingdom, Lord, through music and to the ministry um, of your people uh, through music and through the various ways that you've gifted us. And Lord, I pray specifically for Dell in all the work that he's doing um, at Wheaton College there in Massachusetts. Um, bless his work as he interacts with his students and the other faculty there and Lord, through this weird pandemic time, we just pray um, that uh, music is able to be shared in whatever way um, that is possible uh, to, um, I know it's been a little tricky this past year, and so we just pray for um, for the way ahead uh, for Dell and his the live events and all the things that I'm sure he would love to do, Lord, um, that it would be made possible um, and thank you for the work that he's doing uh, with the musical Bible studies. They're such a blessing. And I am uh, so pleased that I got to experience that firsthand. Um, and I pray for other opportunities to do that as it was a huge blessing and um, 
a wonderful perspective shift for me personally too, Lord. And I just thank you for his uh, faithful obedience forward in that ministry, Lord. Um, we pray for the projects coming up in Dell's work um, for the Lent project for next spring. Uh, we thank you for um, his wisdom and his encouragement today. Um, and we just, we, again, thank you for this time. Um, and we pray, Lord, above all, that our work, the work of our hands, would be a reflection of um, your love, your majesty, your beauty, your grace, uh, that we can live differently um, as lights in this world, Lord, to your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Dal, uh, is there a message of encouragement that you would love to leave everyone with today? <laughs> oh, wow. I'm not usually, I don't usually preach with words. Usually it's just <laughs> music. Uh, you know, I, um, the world's a beautiful place, even though it doesn't seem like it a lot of the time. And the arts help us remember that. Yeah. Amen. And everyone stick around. You'll get to hear the song that Del composed. And we look forward to that. Del, thank you again for being here today uh, with us here on Creatively Christian. And yeah, we'll, we'll link all of that good ways to connect with you in our show notes. Everyone check that out. And yeah, stay tuned for opportunities uh, to, I, I would love to see some of our listeners on one of the future musical Bible studies. I, cause I can't wait to do one of those again too. So Del, thanks again. And uh, we'll be in touch.
thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you'd like to find out more about the resources and links that were mentioned, you can head over to our webpage at theophanymedia.com forward slash case. Creatively Christian is a product of Theophany Media. You can find out more at theophanymedia.com. This show is hosted by Brandon Hollingsworth, Andrea Sandifer, Bill Brooks, and Lynn Baber. Our logo is by Bill Brooks. Our music is by Bill Brooks and Andrea Sandifer. And remember, if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a blessed day and keep on creating for our Lord.